when I say let's up level our baseline, for example, one practical way that that would look is if you have PMS, a symptom of PMS, you then operate behaviorally and thoughtfully as if you have a fever. Because if you had a fever, what would you do? You would make the soup, take the the vitamins, put yourself in a, get rest, you know, do the things that you've been culturally conditioned to do to address the fever, right? Right. Self-care basics. Yeah. Hey, 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 friends. Welcome to the Naked Podcast. I'm your host, Martisa Williams. In this space, we'll explore a whole range of practices for our individual and collective freedom. My entire life has been spent soaking up practice after modality, after protocol, to free my body and soul. Join me in conversations with the world's foremost thought leaders on topics ranging from health to sex to spirituality to justice. So, are you ready to get naked with me? Well, let's talk about it. your week i had a wild week at work it was fun it was busy it was intense but i've been reading our prisons obsolete for the books and yoga club that i co-founded with a dear friend of mine and it's actually happening this sunday july 26 so If you're listening to this prior, feel free to join us. There's still tickets left. But I was reading, I'm reading the book because I always do it last minute because that's who I am. And um, it had me thinking a lot about what allyship means in like the most radical way. And when I use the word radical, what I mean is in the most transformative way, in the most healing way, in the most inclusive, because I think all of those things are radical acts. Healing is a radical act. Transformation is a radical act. Um, And so thinking about allyship in a radical way, um, I was talking, I actually did a video about this on Instagram. So if you're interested, you can go and find that at, at Let's Get Naked. Um, but I'll recap a little bit here. Is just we need to be thinking about allyship a whole lot differently. We need to be thinking about it as if we're allies to a group, we are um, divesting from the systems that keep that group in bondage and in harm, specifically in the book, of our prisons obsolete. We're talking about the quote unquote justice system and the penal system. So I really implore you, is that a word? Did I use it correctly? Who knows? Anyway, I suggest, highly suggest for you to go and really be doing your research on the systems 
that marginalized people are saying is causing them pain because you can't be an ally and uphold those systems or at least intend to uphold those systems because we're all upholding them because it's just this soup that we're in. But um, yeah, this is just, you know, your weekly little like directive. And my hope is that these intros are a look into my brain, a look into my week. Um, and again, continuing to build that relationship with you all. But other than social justice things, this week has also taught me uh, my need for more rest. And, and the fact that like rest is a very, very radical act, especially on your period. I have been menstruating all week and busy all week and every night getting home and just feeling completely, completely fried. Which tells you I am out of sync with my cycle, which segues beautifully into this week's conversation with the amazing Elisa Vidi. So Elisa is an integrative nutritionist. She's a best-selling author of Woman Code and the founder of flowliving.com, which is a virtual health center that supports women's hormonal and reproductive health. She's a smart brain, so she graduated from Johns Hopkins University and the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Elisa has, has a web series on Lifetime, serves on the Yahoo Health Advisory Board, and is the advisor to several health and health tech startups. She has presented on TEDx, Talks at Google, Summit Series Outside, Hay House, and a bunch of others. And you may have even seen her um, kind of change the world a little bit with talking about your period blood on Dr. Oz. She's incredible. In this show, we talk about so many things. I'm not even going to give you all the show notes, but we talk about how the baseline for women's health is just ridiculously poor. We talk about how non-binary people and trans folk can sync with their cycles. The ridiculous lack of representation in medical research and how people with female hormones are always operating in a blind spot. We talk about their circadian rhythm and how men have been aligning with their hormonal rhythms forever. We talk about the female hormonal second body clock, which is called our infradian rhythm. You've probably never even heard that word before. It's important that you know it. So we talk all about the infradian rhythm and then Elisa's protocol for that she calls cycle syncing, which is amazing, amazing, amazing. We talk about energy management and stress management, how to heal your adrenals, which is why I have been so ridiculously fried um, this week. And then we get into the good stuff. We talk about sex. We'll talk about sex a lot on this podcast, but on this episode, we specifically talk about my orgasm. So you're welcome. We talk about the gift that is between your labia, the power and the intense health benefits of having an orgasm. And then we talk about how to masturbate. I don't know if you've ever had a lesson on that, but Elisa's going to school you on that one. And the importance of using lube and using the right kinds of lube. And then we talk about um, 
the menopausal years and how you can absolutely change your hormonal destiny. This is an incredible episode that I'm ridiculously excited for you to hear and I cannot wait to have conversations about it afterwards. Like I just wanna continue to talk about um, our hormones together. So enjoy, it's gonna be phenomenal. so happy that you're here. I was, I think you, for me, are the most anticipated guest. Oh, wow. Um, for I'm myself. so flattered. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I sped read through both of your books and, um, because hormones, trying to figure out my own biology, um, trying to figure out my own mental health stuff and how it relates to my hormones and all that kind of stuff has been literally a journey since puberty. Yeah. Since the first kind of like, oh shit, things are going awry, you know, has been a journey. So I'm really excited to talk to you and get this information out. But thank you for having me. I, I, you know, listen, for me, wherever women are gathered talking about hormones, that's where I want to be. <laughs> that's really my, like, seriously, that's my modus operandi. Um, I, I agree. Well, actually, what pains me is to hear over and over again that, you, you know, like you just said, that you feel like you've been on this journey since puberty. And when you, what you mean by journey in what I hear, what I know, uh, is that you've been, your time has been taken. Mm -hmm. You've been suffering unnecessarily. You haven't been able to enjoy the fullness of your life because you've been mired in symptoms and confusion and you've been spending time, effort and money and mental focus on trying to just get to a baseline of good. Yeah. And that to me is, has got to change. That, that mm. is just fundamentally unacceptable mm -hmm. in my opinion that half the population or more than half the population that has ovaries that are functioning that are you know having hormonal output um feel like they're adrift mm -hmm. for decades dealing with things and not feeling like they're getting any support and i have been feeling that way since it happened to me <laughs> so we're going on three decades now because that's three decades ago was when i was in puberty right <laughs> um and so i remember going through that myself and then in my early 20s, having my whole transformation, um, really feeling called to do something about it. Mm. So on the one hand, yes, I am a hormonal health, health expert, but really I feel like I'm a, a women's hormonal healthcare activist mm. because what I'm up to here, what I'm interested in is that we just have a massive up-leveling of what our baseline is in yes. terms of the care that we're receiving and the education that we have as just our baseline, right? As opposed to what we have now, which is just confusion and, you know, not enough information and not enough support. And it just leaves too many of us, you know, um, in fact, the statistics show half of all women are struggling with hormonal issues. That's, 
that's an incredible number. Yeah. If and let's just think about it from the alternative point of view. If half of the male population was suffering with something, let's say erectile dysfunction, you know what I mean? Yeah. That would be, <laughs> exactly. that would, there'd be like national conferences about it. There'd be like, it'd be a whole thing, you know, yeah. it'd be a whole focus. And so, um, yeah, I just feel like, you know, we, it's time we do, we have something that we need, you know, an information and a platform. And that, that's why I built Flow Living, for example, because we, we need a place to come to, to get information and to get support and to have things that help us navigate quickly and effectively out of hormonal chaos and get back into our natural state of hormonal flow. Absolutely. I love that you said, um, like, up-leveling our baseline. Because the, I think that's the thing in your books that gets me, and I have like an introduction question I want to ask you, but I just love where we're going, is that like, what really frustrates me, like I actually get very angry, is that we think that the suffering that we deal with is just normal. Like you say in your book that like PMS is just like a common, but uh, it's not a normal symptom of our periods. And the fact that it's like, I feel crazy half of the month because I feel crazy with like in the PMS phase and then in my period and all of that. And like, I'm in pain, like excruciating pain and like feeling like, Oh, I just have to, you know, I have to go to my job. I have to do this. I have to do that. And having to kind of live through the suffering, like everything is normal because that's what's expected of me. So this idea of up-leveling our baseline to be like, no, that is not normal. And there's now time to, or there's something that can be done about it really feels empowering for me because that is not, I feel that's not the normal um, way of thinking of our bodies, not women's bodies. Not Yeah, no, I mean body. that con the conversation around you're cursed to suffer pain and is biblical in proportion. Right. Has been certainly dominating the cultural narrative for millennia. And the whatever's in the cultural narrative then has a trickle down effect into our beliefs and into our behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so what I find is the most frustrating about that belief that you're supposed to suffer is that when you walk around with flashing signals of there's a problem, which PMS is, having PMS is the equivalent of having a low grade fever. Mm. Right? Because again, 2016, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists decreed that your period is your fifth vital sign along with the four other vital signs that they take at the emergency room, like your blood pressure, your temperature, right? So you should, you need to, when I say let's up-level our baseline, for example, one practical way that that would look is if you have PMS, a symptom of PMS, you then operate behaviorally and thoughtfully as if you have a fever. Because if you had a fever, what would you do? Right. You would make the soup, take the, the vitamins, put yourself in a, get rest, you know, right. do the things that you've been culturally conditioned to do to address the fever, right? Right. Self-care basics. Yeah. And we need an equivalent for this everyday phenomenon of our hormones, that mm -hmm. it is not this thing that we ignore, right? Because when the cultural narrative says suffering is your curse, right? Or your destiny, then the thought is there's nothing to be done. Mm -hmm. And then the behavior is you do nothing. 
Right. When what you should do is operate as if something needs to be done. And so it is important to shift the, the beliefs because that will then dictate your behavior. And one of the ways that we can shift our beliefs is to understand facts, mm-hmm. right? Because if you have a belief that's predicated on mythology, which is what we have inherited from this millennia of a cultural narrative, right. all this mythology that says your periods are going to be painful, there's nothing to be done, PMS is normal, cramps and pain are part of the deal of being a woman, you know, lucky, lucky you, you female, <laughs> you get to be in pain. I mean, it's just, it is, And when you start to unpack it, especially looking up at it through the lens of actual science and biology, it is ludicrous Mm. that we actually believe any of that because it is baseless. Mm -hmm. It is completely unfounded nonsense. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. I want to just say it straight. Like it it does not, that one plus one in that situation does not equal two. Mm. And and so I think that it's um, really important that we open up the fire hose of of information so that we can wash away the, the mental cobwebs of beliefs that are really just mythology. Yeah. Toxic mythology. I love that word. I want to double back a little bit because um, the first question that I ask all my guests, I love that we just jumped yeah, in. We just dove. Yes. <laughs> and I want to I wanna get all the way into it. But the first question I ask all my guests because I want my listeners to really get to know you and know where you're coming from. And, and that's what made you you? How did you get on this journey? And that you can ask it from like a period standpoint or from just like a personal standpoint. I mean, I don't really think that there's much separation right. <laughs> between the two. <laughs> but um, what made me me? That's funny. Uh, or it's interesting. Let's see. I think it was a combination of a couple of key events. Uh, the first event that I could track back is, which I wrote about in Woman Code in my first book, was the sex ed class where I first heard about menstruation because I, my parents are immigrants. And so they just never, it was never discussed. Mm. Um, And so I literally like, you know, for example, when I asked my mom knowing where babies come from at that point, I was like, so mom, where do babies come from? I I obviously already knew. And she's like, (laughs) oh, I grew you in the tomato garden. Like there was just a (laughs) fundamental discomfort on her part, I think, too. But also, it wasn't just discomfort. I think she also really was interested in um, protecting innocence and allowing for self-discovery. So none of it was like pushed on me, but it was also just, it's also interesting that I am so curious about all of this stuff, right? (laughs) Perhaps because it was not something that was provided. But beyond that, when I got to sex ed in sixth grade, I just remember that moment so vividly of like hearing about menstruation and, and all of the things that a woman's body does and literally being struck with awe and joy and excitement. Like that was my reaction. Mm, I love it. And then I look around the room at my friends <laughs> and these girls are like, oh no, right, curse because they had been exposed to things in um, culture and mag- teen magazines. And none of, I, I didn't have any of that in my upbringing. So I didn't, and I never heard my aunts talking about, like nobody had, there was just the absence of conversation, which in a way was hugely beneficial because when I came to the information, which was just the science, menstruation, ovulation, 
fertility. It was just they were just presenting some basic age-appropriate science. There was no, no, um, you know, flavor added about oh, it's going to be negative or positive. It was just very factual. My reaction, authentic reaction to the facts, was elation <laughs> and gratitude. You know, yeah. and excitement. And I literally grabbed my two best friends, three best friends, and we went outside for recess and I formed the period club right then and there. <laughs> and I was like, all right, the functions of the period club are one, to determine who is going to get their period first of the four of us. And second, to do regular bathroom checks during recess to see if anybody <laughs> happened to get it. You know, because <laughs> I was like, I just thought this was so great. So good. Um, so that was, that was my first encounter with menstruation. And my immediate action was already leadership. Like, let me start a club about periods. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was that. And then my next sort of key pivotal moment was, you know, and I tucked in the back of my mind, like the, the noticing of the fact that I was the only girl in that class that felt the way that I felt and everybody mm -hmm. else felt negative. But I didn't know what to do with that yet. You know, mm -hmm. it was only, I don't know, how old are you in sixth grade? Whatever that was, I was that age. Anyway, the next moment was sort of the whole um, experience that I had from, let's say, 12 to 22 with my body and my hormones and everything that was going on with me developmentally. I wasn't developing in a way that mimicked what I was seeing my other peers, you know, like I, I looked kind of um, just, I wasn't developing is how, how I could just basically describe it. And I remember feeling off and I remember sharing that with my father and him just reassuring me like, you're fine, everything's fine, which is fine. But, you know, I had that inner knowing mm. that, something was off. And so uh, then, of course, the whole journey of discovering that I had PCOS, even though it took many, many years, many doctors, and I had all the symptoms of obesity and extreme acne everywhere. And no, like from the age of 12 to 22, I had like six bleeds, two of which were synthetically induced. And that whole time, no one really had an explanation for me as to why this was happening to me. And I was really concerned about it and my doctors did not seem concerned about it right and it wasn't until I was at Johns Hopkins as a student um, that I had access to some great resources in the library where I was able to do some research on my own behalf and I found an article about Stein-Levendahl disease which was the original name given to PCOS and I took that to my gynecologist locally and she and I did some testing and then she confirmed for me that I did in fact have PCOS and when I asked her, okay, great, you know, like, what do we do next? She said, there's nothing we can do. Mm, you know, mm -hmm. your, your symptoms are going to get progressively worse. This obesity is going to, you know, make you more predisposed for diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and, you know, you're likely not to be able to conceive naturally. We'll just medicate you, you know, increasing more different medications along the way, and that'll be that. And I just thought, I felt a no, you know, rise up from my body, like, no, this is not for me, you know, right. this is not my future. And so that was a pivotal moment. So that whole experience of living through that and then having that um, experience with hormonal health care or the sort of conventional, you know, gynecological care um, was very perspective shifting. And, and then I, began the whole process of figuring out how to recalibrate my own endocrine system and luckily was able to figure that out and put that protocol together and, and that journey was important too. Um, 
And I think a third pivotal moment was a, um, you know, that sort of speaks to the activist piece in me was um, a class that I took on women's history. And uh, there was something about that class that just blew my mind open and opened my heart to the struggle of women that I had never been exposed to before because everything in regular history classes is very, you know, it's like about wars and, you know, I didn't really relate to it. And then I took this women's history class. I'm like, oh, I'm, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like only in that class, I was like, oh, I'm a woman. And Mm. these are my, all these women are my sisters and we, and we need, we need help. <laughs> we need, we need to do things for each other because we're not being included. Yeah. Um, and that that was a third pivotal moment in my in this part this time period, you know, from 12 to 22 that just really um yeah, if I had to say what what is my origin story, I would say those three things really definitely baked some of the cookie here. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Their ingredients are in that recipe somewhere. (laughs) I love that. And I can so relate to the women's, the women's history class. Cause you know, I, um, I majored in women, gender and sexuality. Um, and so for me too, it was my spring semester of my freshman year that I took my first women's study course. And I was like, oh this like this This. is what this is what i want to be learning yes yeah and it is you know as frustrated as i feel about the fact that you know basic information is being left out of women's sex ed classes or that the infradian rhythm is being left out of research which i know we're going to talk all about or that women in general as human subjects are being left out of medical fitness and nutrition research i'm also not happy about the fact that you know you women's history is just not included in a general educational course you know because without really knowing where you come from it's hard to you know fully navigate where you're going yeah yeah absolutely before we get into the miseducation because i think that's so critical um i do want to just touch on um other genders, non-binary folks, trans folk, who I want to make sure feel safe and included in this conversation, because as we both know, you know, everyone who has periods and has female hormones do not identify as a woman. So just wanting to talk about where that identity comes into this work a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote about that to some extent in my, in my second book. And, you know, for me, in my experience of working with women or non-binary and, and transgender individuals, you know, it really comes down to this really interesting dance that each individual has to take. They have to, you have to navigate your, not navigate, you have to chart your own unique path because what you essentially have to do is um, address whatever is happening to you physiologically, right? So for example, if you are not taking hormone suppressives or hormone replacement therapy, um, and you still are cycling and having a period, um, then you may want to know some of this information and apply it as, it as you see fit to help you with 
optimizing your nutrition, optimizing your metabolism, optimizing your fitness, optimizing your cognitive clarity, just so that you're biohacking in a way that's biologically relevant to your system. But you then also need to address what is going on in your heart as far mm -hmm. as how you identify. Mm -hmm. And so those two things can coexist in my experience working with people that it, it's really your unique recipe that you're going to come to, you know, for example, so, and we can get more into detail because we haven't really introduced the, oh, the whole concept here, but yeah. you know, you could be um, male, biologically male, identifying as female. And in order for you to address your male physiology, if you're not, depending on what you're doing hormonally, you will do certain things with diet and, and exercise that addresses that reality. And then also to, uh, to honor your feminine energy, right? You may want to connect with the lunar phases and live in that cyclical fashion if that's something that helps you feel more connected. Um, but it's really all your own personal recipe. And, and, and because this is something uh, new, that really it can be your own. Right. You really can chart your own path. Yeah, I love that. I love the, you know, there is the biological phenomenon, but then there's also this kind of spiritual, emotional space too, that's Absolutely. like femininity, masculinity lies in both of those spaces. And that's I, right. I love that. I love that. Okay. Let's get down to this miseducation piece. Cause I okay. think it's so <laughs> critical you in your book specific. Well, you do it in woman code as well, but specifically in the flow, you talk about, you know, how women have been left out. We have been left out of the science. We've been left out of the research. We've been left out of the conversation in so many ways, but even more specifically when it comes to health and wellness. Can you get down into the nitty gritty of how we've been left out, where we've been left out, and what the fuck that means for like our knowledge of ourselves? Not just our knowledge, it like also the care that we're receiving. So essentially <clears throat> there was a, a tragic... Uh, you know, problem with including women in their reproductive years in human clinical trials, so drug trials, mm. okay? And that was the thalidomide, um, you know, tragedy that took place in the 60s. And so these were women were, who were taking this uh, drug experimentally as part of the trial, um, you know, resulted in massive congenital birth defects. Mm. Um, and so as a safety measure, there was sort of this like ban on including women in their reproductive years in, in, in what should have just been drug trials, right? Because obviously taking experimental medication is risky for just about anybody, but certainly if you might be pregnant, obviously that's not a good thing. Right. But the, the fallout from that has been to go too far in the extreme direction of like, well, then we're just excluding them all together. But if you're, if you're doing a, an experiment about, you know, um, does a person benefit from having three cups of vegetables a day versus six, right? That, that is very unlikely to be harmful to a woman in her reproductive years, right? right, right. Or if you're doing a fitness experiment on does you know, running 30 minutes a day in over, over a 30 day period, improve someone's cardiovascular performance versus 45 minutes, right? That's very unlikely 
to be a problem for women in reproductive years. But unfortunately, we're being left out of all of that research, medical, mm -hmm. fitness, and nutrition research. And it's such a problem, especially on the medical end, because the assumption that we're making as a result of not being included, the assumption that, I'm sorry, when I say we, I mean the medical, fitness, and nutrition establishments, what their, their assumption is, is that they have to assume that women are simply smaller versions of males. Right. So medication dosing, um, you know, uh, if you go for general anesthesia, right? Mm -hmm. if you have to do a surgical procedure and you're going under, they're dosing you as if your, your body mass index is just a smaller male version. And the medical community knows that this is not optimal for women, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so the, in 1996, the National Institute of Health put out like a special request, right? Like, hey, anybody doing human clinical trials, can we please include more women? Mm. As of 2016, the status report was showing that progress has been very minimal. Mm. And they're working on it, but it's just slow going. Fitness and nutrition, um, there hasn't been that request, but they're just defaulting to this um, lack of inclusivity in their research anyway. So for example, and I called, I spoke about this, I write about it in, in the new book, In the Flow, like, you know, if you're reading any sort of trending diet or fitness routine, like intermittent fasting or high intensity interval training, the research has been done on men. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it includes postmenopausal women, but the they're excluding women in the reproductive years. And what I dug up is that in fact, these trends, it's not just a problem that, that we're being left out, but then it's being made more confusing because in a, from a journalistic point of view, right? You're, you're reading this information and there is no big note that is saying, hey, this study was only done on guys. So right. if, you're in your, if you're a female, you need to really take that into consideration and proceed with extreme caution. It would be as simple as just, just saying, the, saying the fact, right? Honestly, it would just be so simple to just make it more clear and less confusing for people. But then what we have found is that these things for women in the reproductive years have the opposite effect, right? For intermittent fasting, for example, you know, all the benefits that it confers to men and postmenopausal women, which have been documented and studied in those cohorts, definitely benefit from it. Women in the reproductive years, it has like the opposite effect. It worsens insulin sensitivity, decreases cognitive performance. It, it can shrink your ovaries. I mean, it's not mm. helping you. And then what's so frustrating is I hear from women all the time who feel like they're trying so hard to do something that's good for them that they read about or they see it everywhere. I mean, it, it becomes right. like this pervasive conversation. It's on every article in the news. It's, you know, wherever you go, you're being confronted with this information. And so you try it and then something, then you're, you're curious, then you're left wondering, well, why is that? Why do I feel worse? Mm -hmm. Why do I have new symptoms? Why didn't this work for me? And all it would have taken for you to have just avoided all of that unnecessary waste of time and effort and potentially money is for you to have just had gotten the correct information about right. who the study was done on. So, you know, it's a little bit of a challenge right now that I think, um, but I think it's just, a, it's, it's just time for us to have, we're not going to catch up to the gap of having women having been excluded for so long anytime soon, but at least if we start with just making it very clear and transparent that, 
not all of this research is applicable to you will save women so much in time and effort and unnecessary suffering. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of wild because I think so much of the wellness, health and wellness industry, like you said earlier, I think before we even got, we started recording is like, it's geared towards women. It's geared towards women. It's well, I mean, it's no question that be, it's, it's a kind of a perfect circle when I think, especially now that I see it through the lens that I see it through. It's like when you've been operating with this enormous blind spot, right? Then there's this enormous appetite because what happens in a blind spot? You're confused, you're disoriented, mm-hmm. you're not sure which way to go, which way to turn, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't even know where you are. <laughs> you, you know, when you've got this big blind spot, you're like, what's happening? So what that generates inside of is a need for information. I need mm-hmm. help. I need something. I need resources. You're, you, you become very much in that mode of trying to resolve this blind spot. And so it's a kind of a perfect situation. But then that coupled with the fact that all the information is predicated mainly on research that's being done on men, then just it we just are not getting like the CD is skipping or the record is skipping. Like we're not getting out of this loop of like, we want to consume information that's going to make us feel better, but we, we don't feel better. We don't know why. And then the information that we're getting isn't actually applicable to our biology. So we're trying it and we're still not feeling better. So then we still have this blind spot. And so we still have to read more and try to get more information. It just never ends. Right. Right. And it's exhausting to even talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I know how it feels personally having been on that hamster wheel myself before I figured everything out, trying diets and potions and practitioners and anything, Mm. anything, literally Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. try to feel better. Um, And it's, it's just, it just cannot continue that, that so many women, half, 50% of the female population is struggling with hormonal issues. If 50% of the male population was struggling with hormonal issues, it would be um, a, a national focus. Right. Absolutely. I mean, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So in your book, you talk about the 24 hour clock, this circadian rhythm that we have, which I've started learning a lot about, um, which is getting into biohacking, but again, these are all male spaces. So I want to talk about the benefit of understanding for women, understanding their 24 hour clock and the detriment of us being kind of focused around and our entire society being um, built around the 24-hour clock? Mm. So listen, you have different biological rhythms at play in your body. The one that is universal to all genders is the circadian rhythm and all Mm -hmm. ages of life. Children, you know, post-menopausal women, post-andropausal men, and everyone in between. circadian rhythm governs the timing of things that happen in your body, right? For example, it controls when your bowels are more active, when they're less active. We, we associate circadian rhythm with just waking and sleeping, but it mm-hmm. governs other things like, you know, the peak activity for bowel movements, peak activity for blood pressure, etc. And think about what kind of chaos your life would be in if you did not have some master timekeeper or a rhythmic timing to bowel movements, just bowel movements, right? Yeah. So let's say, you know, when you feel the urge to go and Mm -hmm. have a bowel movement, you got to like, stop what you're doing and go do that, right? Right. Can you imagine that if that happened to you 
all day long. People with IBS will relate to what I'm saying. It's very disruptive. But let's say you didn't have IBS, but you just didn't have a circadian clock governing the timing of that. So you would go to sleep at night hoping that tonight would be the night where you wouldn't be awoken with the urge to go to the bathroom. It's very advantageous that we have a rhythmic pattern here so that we can sleep and get contiguous deep sleep to rest and restore the brain and our bi biological systems so that then when you wake up, you drink a glass of water, you go to the bathroom, you get that out of the way and you right. go on your merry way throughout the day, right? The timing yeah. of that is actually, we take that for granted, but for anybody who has any GI issues and your bowels don't work right, you don't take that for granted. Right, right. So, so that's one small example of the circadian rhythm. Male hormonal patterns follow a 24-hour cycle. So it follows that circadian clock, meaning they produce all the testosterone that they're going to make and have available to them the next day while they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. So it's very advantageous. And by the way, men have been aligning with their hormonal patterns forever. Mm -hmm. as it is good logic to do so, right? Just like it is good logic to sleep at night and wake up during the day, it is good logic to, let's say, build lean muscle or do strenuous activity as a male when you have access to all that testosterone. Because while you're working hard, you can actually build lean muscle and make yourself healthier, right? It's advantageous to them to do as much of their work before three or four o'clock in the afternoon when they fall off of the cognitive focus cliff and this energy stamina cliff, right? Because now cortisol and testosterone dip to their lowest levels or be begin going down to that lower level. And they, that's why biohacking is so popular among men, by the way, I think, because they're trying to extend the time that they have each day to have access to that energy and that focus, right? right? Because it's not something that they have access to all day long. Right. Um, you know, if you ask any man um, when his preferred time to have sex, for example, would be, of course, it would be in the morning, not mm. because he has morning wood, mm -hmm. you know, which is usually a bladder issue. Um, <laughs> it's because he has access to a, a huge amount of testosterone, which is going to make his sexual experience much more positive and pleasurable for him. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They understand and have been there is no blind spot about this for them. So they totally know this is why men, for example, or even coaches, athletic coaches will train their male athletes at certain times of the day for certain results. Like if you mm -hmm. want to train a man to build more lean muscle, any coach will know the right time of day to do that versus cardio versus stretching. There's different appropriate times to achieve the maximum result with the least amount of effort. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why only 10% of men are struggling with hormonal issues versus 50% of women. Yeah. Um, and it's such a problem for women because, well, for two reasons. One, you have a, a second biological clock, which I'll talk about in a second, but, but, and that's your big blind spot. Um, but when you try to operate and fit your rhythm into this 24 hour rhythm, it creates a lot of disruption to these other systems of the body that this second biological rhythm governs. Right. So as a woman from the first bleed to your last bleed, you have this second biological rhythm called an infradian rhythm. Mm -hmm. So we have circadian and we have infradian. This is only active at this time the, during these approximate four, four and a half decades of your life. So, you know, the vast majority of your life, 
Okay. Um, no big deal. No big, no big deal. deal. No, you know, <laughs> just, just, just FYI. Um, and in addition to caring for your circadian rhythm, which is extremely important, you also then have to begin to develop the ability to take care of your, your infradian rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to do both and. It's not an either or. You have to do both and. And the problem is that you not only are in a position where you don't know about this infradian rhythm, but because we're being left out of the research, because you're trying all sorts of things because you have symptoms, and because pretty much all of corporate and success culture is uh, oriented to, to create successful outcomes based on male biology, everything that you are doing, you know, and again, you come by this honestly, un unfortunately, but everything you are doing from what, how you're dieting, how you're exercising, how you're, what time in the morning you're waking up, if, you're, if you've gotten sucked into the whole power morning rubric, right. um, you know, all of that, um, all of it is basically you're trying to act as if you are a smaller version of a male, right? right? Whether right. that's something that you're consciously aware of or not by saying, oh, I must optimize my life in a 24 hour manner. I must wake up in the morning to front load my workouts and my deep work in the morning because that's what the men do. And the men, you know, you know, again, it's all sometimes some of this is subconscious. I'm not right. suggesting that you're consciously having this inner dialogue, but you know, but when you start to investigate, why do you believe that you have to wake up at 530? If you're in a heterosexual relationship with a boyfriend or a husband, why do you feel, let me phrase it this way. Why do you feel bad, guilty, or self-critical if you don't wake up at the same time as, as that male partner, mm -hmm. right? Why do you feel self-critical if you don't just do it at the gym every day, right? Right there is a unconscious, um, I think, tr you know, trying to adopt these behaviors of the dominant culture that is not helping women. Right. And, and it again comes out of this blind spot about the infradian rhythm, because the fact of the matter is this rhythm governs six key systems of your body, your brain, mm. your metabolism, your microbiome, your stress response system, your immune system, and your reproductive system. Right. So if you're having any suboptimal performance in any one of those systems, it is the direct result of you disrupting your infradian rhythm, trying to live this lifestyle that does not apply to your biochemistry in any way, shape, or form. Right. right? And so that was the big problem that I saw. You know, mm -hmm. this infradian disruption, not, not being included in the research, all of us being given information that is not actually helping us make any progress with our health or our lives. And I, and then the 50% of women suffering with hormonal issues after so many years of trying to, um, you know, help women, I just said, okay, it's time for another book. And so that's where, that's why in the flow got written because I, 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 and then I wanted to really get down to this root cause of why are so many women suffering? And it's because of this infradian disruption. Right. So, so that's the problem. That's the picture frame around the problem. The good news is, and that's the bad news. The good news is that there <laughs> is actually a, a way out. Yeah. And as I like to say, the way out is in, in infradian. <laughs> okay. So you, so the way out is by applying this method that I created It's called the cycle syncing method. Again, taking a really good practice that has been used for millennia with men, 
to organize their their diet, exercise, and life management, time management, according to what is biochemically appropriate or optimal for them, and applying it to the female infrating rhythm. So the cycle syncing method is where we modify what we're eating when, which workouts we're doing when, and what we're working on when, based on where we are in our infrating rhythm, which maps onto our menstrual cycle, but as I described, impacts these other six key systems of the body that go well beyond, you know, your bleed. Absolutely. So I'm pausing this episode to let you in on a little secret. So when you're cycle syncing, the most important key is the food piece. It's the nutrition. And you're going to want really, really good quality food, specifically really good quality meat. You're going to want, you know, pasture raised. You're going to want sustainable. You're going to want organic. And I have the perfect place for you to get that from. Butter Meat Co. is an amazing company that is challenging the current industrial beef process with their dual purpose mission which means they have dairy cows that produce this incredible milk and tasty ice cream and then produce really savory butter meat and it's all in the heart of western new york so not only is it local but it's also woman owned what i love about the meat is that it's full flavored. It's been aged five to seven years, meaning the giving the fats time to mature and bring out the incredible rich flavors in the beef. If I were you, I would either go grab their ground beef box, which you can do so much with, or their I Love New York box, which has multiple different types of steaks in there and some um, burger patties as well. When you go to check out, Use the code NEKID, N-E-K-K-I-D, for 10% off at checkout. Tell them I sent you. Let's get back to the episode. So before we get into the, in- the infradian rhythm, because I definitely want to dive in, I want to one point out that when you say that men have been aligning their hormones with their world with their world. hormones, yeah. it is so clear. So like you know, then the radical in me comes out and says that like, to me, cycle, like honoring your infradian rhythm and cycle syncing is anti-capitalist and anti-sexist because we live in a society that literally has been aligned with male hormonal production forever. Forever. I mean, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's, those are my words. Those are not Alisa Vitti's words, but those are my words. (laughs) You know, listen, I think that if you want to view the patriarchy through the lens of biology, which I've said before, um, and I view everything through the lens of biology, Mm -hmm. um, it's really just a society that organizes itself around that male biology. Exactly. Right? Yep. And so, okay, fine. That's been a fact. Where do we go from here? Yes. I'm really a now what's next kind of (laughs) right? And what I'm hoping that this book does is really brings a lot of inclusivity for women to to enjoy into their normal everyday experience for example inclusivity in corporate culture i relish every opportunity i get to go into corporate environments 
and train both genders, right? Or all the genders, depending on who is in present, to train right. everybody about the infradian rhythm and the circadian rhythm. And so that we want to have an, a more inclusive work culture, mm. right? because if we're not in actively talking about it and including it in the conversation, then we're excluding it. And then women are relegated to trying to fit themselves into this circadian only world, which is not helpful, right? Yeah. And yeah. I spent this whole chapter, this, I think it's chapter seven in the book about women at work, just to really t speak to the fact that when you um, have more women present in the work environment. It is a triple win for teams, the company, the bottom line. It's, you know, women's brains are wired for leadership. And, you know, there's, there's wonderful John Gerzermer wrote the Athena Doctrine, which everyone should read about what uh, women really bring to society. It's really amazing. I heard mm. him speak at TED Women years ago, and I just was so moved by his and his colleagues' research. Um, and so, I, I write all that. I wrote all that in this book to really just help women understand that it is so beneficial for you to take up space. Yes. Not just with your self care, but in your sphere of influence, right? Um, you can go to your HR person and be like, hey, let's book Elisa to come and train us. Yes. You, you can take leadership, right? And you can make the world that you're in um, aware of and more including of your infrading rhythm very easily. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that's what it's going to take, you know, to just have it be more inclusive. So what does it look like? Cause I know you have the uh, flow living center. What does it look like for a corporate corporate culture to respect honor the infrading rhythm? Well, I think it's just about, um, empowering the female employees or the ones that identify as female to really understand what this is, to empower them with this, in, in, to be a platform where they could actually learn about it if they don't know about the book or about me and my work or Flow Living, right? That, that, that each corporation takes some responsibility to help everyone know about it. And then to, that will then create some sensitivity. So for example, um, if there's this default setting that um, uh, you know a team leader, maybe the team leader is male, maybe not, doesn't really matter because everybody's indoctrinated to think right. that there's a right time to do certain things. Maybe this team leader will say, "Okay, well, um, we have to have all of our strategy sessions at 8 a.m. You know, early like they are, they have it in their head that that's what's best." Again, male or female, everybody's vulnerable to believing that that is the, the truth. Right maybe that would shift a bit to say, um, when is the, we'll just be asking questions about when is the optimal time for us to have this meeting as opposed to just having it be mandated. <laughs> you know, there'd be like a question of like, when should we have this meeting? Yeah. Um, which is sort of how I do it with everybody on my team. Like, you know, when, when should we have this meeting? What feels good? What's the right time for everybody? And no one has to be in the same phase, right? Um, in order for this to work. So that's one way. Um, I think other ways that we could see some inclusivity taking place in corporations would be around certainly an improvement around paternal and maternal leave, mm -hmm. um, but also um, length of workday for women should be, you know, and men, I think should be more fluid. For example, 
I think it would make a lot of sense for men to be able to come to work earlier and leave earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it would make a lot of sense for women to be able to come in a little later and leave depending on where they're at in their cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and a more, and, and by the way, we're already kind of in that reality now by, by virtue of COVID and all of us working mostly from a remote point of view, you are now having the, the liberty to dictate your own schedule. And oftentimes, and Harvard research proves when a person manages their energy Mm -hmm. and not their time, Mm -hmm. they're actually massively more productive. So this whole idea of like FaceTime with the boss and having to show that you're staying there all day, and it's just not really um, evidenced to be that, to be a product uh, the best way to, to create highly productive teams. So, you know, there's a, there's more to be done, um, I think. And, and then I think also just, again, that it, so much of it comes down to our personal management, right? So if you know, as a woman, that you are in your luteal phase and you have higher levels of resting cortisol all day and you have less stable blood sugar because your metabolism has sped up in this phase, right? If you know that walking into your work week, right? Mm -hmm. You would naturally, and this is really the the lion's share of the work is not so much on the corporation itself. The lion's share is on the individual. You would then naturally with the right time management planner, which is in chapter six, you would then naturally say, okay, I better not try to come in super early this week. You're going to need a few extra minutes of sleep researched and evidenced. I better not make any lunch meetings where I would then really not eat and skip, mm. skip those meals. I better bake in a three o'clock afternoon break where I can get some food. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to run around and do a lot of networking events this week. I'm going to focus on my, I'm going to use all my, the progesterone that's circulating in my brain. And I'm going to carve out time for deep work and say, and, and re push back other meetings to the following week or two. Right. Mm-hmm. You would naturally know to do that as your baseline. Right. Um, just like, you know, to go to bed at night and wake up in the morning. Right. That's like your baseline. Um, you would naturally know to do that and you would become more productive and you would feel more satisfied with your work, with your job, with your job environment, and you would feel less stressed and overwhelmed and exhausted at the end of the work day, week, month, right? Right. And that's just one phase. You have four. So knowing when to prioritize or deprioritize things, when to schedule or reschedule things is hugely empowering. So if we can take any lesson from the COVID remote working experience and, and apply it to when we're back together in workplaces again, whenever that might be, it's that we really do need to take that personal uh, ownership of our time and energy management by knowing our biology deeply and intimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because, you know, fundamentally, we don't, and what's really fun about that for me is that we don't have to wait for institutions and things to change. We just change. You just just start doing this and then you will feel better. Your work will feel less stressful. It is um, biological um, 
inevitability that that will be the case. So you don't have to wait for society to catch up with the science. It will, um, but you can start today. You don't have to wait for your employer to, you know, have me come in and talk. Yeah. I love, I love how that piece about, you know, just empowering the self, not having to wait, not having to say like, oh, it's going to be when something else out there happens, I can take my own power into my hands and make the changes. It's, it's funny because so last month, my last cycle, I was on it perfectly syncing my cycle with, with all my food and I haven't really been working out. That's a whole different thing. But like, you know, with everything else, really getting it. And I could tell such a difference in my cycle. Yeah. It's really immediate too. That's the really, I mean, that's what, that's what biofeedback is. It's immediate, right? Yes. You change your inputs, your outputs are going to change. And you're, you, you're, it's almost shocking how good you feel because Mm. you've been taught that you're not supposed to feel good. Mm -hmm. You're like, whoa. I feel so good. I can't believe this. You know, that becomes like an upper limit problem as people have talked about in the human optimization conversation. Can, is it okay to feel this good? Yeah. You know, am I, am I, is, is this, what, what does this mean? You know, what it means is you could feel like that all the time. And yes. then what would you do with your life force energy? Mm-hmm. What would you do with it if you felt good all the time? I don't know. That's what really gets me excited because if we had all the women in the world feeling good and having access to their own personal creative powers, I mean, I can't, it's unstoppable. <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, I kind of can't phrase what, I don't know. Well, it would be so amazing. Um, and the world would be remade, you know, oh, yes. inevitably. Oh yes. In comparison for me, this cycle, I have been off just off the wagon and I noticed all the symptoms coming back and that I was like oh, okay so this thing works it works yeah. when you, do it, you know <laughs> but I also wanted to ask about the effect of stress on on the infradian rhythm because what the difference has been is I've had really really high stress levels really high stress levels and it's been a stressful couple of months <laughs> oh for sure oh for sure yeah yeah I mean listen <clears throat> having elevated cortisol levels is definitely going to have a disruptive effect on your infradian function, your infradian rhythm, right? Because you're supposed to have a subtle modulation of cortisol output throughout the 28 days, meaning follicular and ovulatory phases, you have lower levels of resting cortisol. So if they're heightened during that time, it's going to signal to the ovary that it's, you know, you might have some delayed ovulation, um, elevated cortisol can negatively impact blood sugar stability, which can also disrupt the cycle. And then what's also worse, if you have elevated cortisol, when you're supposed to have naturally lower levels of cortisol during that first half of the cycle is then you're stealing from the mother hormone pregnenolone that is also then trying to make progesterone that you need for that cycle to have a good second half of the cycle that is PMS free Mm -hmm. and the right length and timing and, you know, all of that. So yeah, having elevated stress can absolutely disrupt the whole process and then it will have a trickle down effect, you know? Um, But if we look at there's stress that we can control and there's stress that we cannot control, Mm, mm -hmm. right? 
stress that is coming from pandemics and um, societal injustices and all sorts of things that are happening right now in our world, um, that is extreme stress that we cannot control. The stressors that you can control are the things around blood sugar, your own personal stress response system. So using some supplements to help your adrenals address that and, re and respond to the stress less aggressively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And using, supporting your infradian rhythm so that you do not add any additional stress to your already stressed out body, right? Mm -hmm. So it becomes, in a way, in stressful times, um, a very valuable tool to successfully navigate the stress so that the exogenous stress doesn't totally derail you further, mm -hmm. right? Because having this experience for one month is one thing, but if it were to continue, what we know is that the body has compounding effects, right? You may have PMS this month, maybe next month it's, you have some things forming, cysts, you know, you could eventually a year from now end up with a fibroid, you know, you wanna you wanna slow that process down if you if you can, and even better, you wanna stop that process. But when you're living in an environment that is extremely stressful constantly, that's wearing on you all the time, mm -hmm. that is out of your control, um, you know, it's it it it's becomes even more necessary to do the self-care that's gonna keep you at least at a baseline of okay. Yeah. So can we talk about adrenals really quick? Because I know supplementation really helps with um, kind of getting an over, like an overstressed adrenal um, system in base. What other things can, can be done to help with the adrenals? Oh my gosh, so many things. First of all, my favorite thing to recommend is orgasm. Mm. Not, just, not just quick climax with your vibrator, but massive extended orgasm. There's a okay. book called Massive Extended <laughs> Orgasm that I'd highly recommend, in fact, because what I talk about in chapter, is it eight? Yeah, I think chapter eight is the sex chapter. I was pretty, not shocked, just sad. You know, nothing shocks me at this point when we're talking about women's health, but I was just sad that 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. Mm. We'll talk about more later, but... Um, you need to understand that you have these four different stages to your sexual process, your sexual response process. And there's a difference between orgasmic plateau and climax. Mm. Climax, if we think about orgasm and climax on a scale of zero to 10, 10 is the climax. And orgasmic plateau that confers all of the, you know, so much of the cortisol flushing, nitric oxide boosting, oxytocin boosting uh, aspects happen between a four and an eight. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you don't even have to have finished the party, so to speak, with climax to benefit biochemically from orgasmic plateau. And I think a lot of us feel so concerned that it seems to take a long time to reach climax or we need to use devices to reach climax. Climax is not even where it's, I mean, it's great and does flush cortisol, but you also get that massive cortisol flush plus all these other uh, brain boosting, mood boosting benefits. Uh, immune system boosting, stress reducing, boosting um, 
benefits from orgasmic plateau. So that's my first go-to. In fact, there anybody who knows my work will know that I recommend at least at least one 20-minute session of orgasmic plateau per week, at least. Mm, mm-hmm. If not two, two is better. <laughs> um, you know, and and you, you we giggle at that, right? Yeah. But let's just think about the average um, practice of a man for his own self-pleasure. It's much more frequent much yeah. more frequent than what yeah. women feel comfortable even talking about. Now, what you're actually doing versus what you're comfortable talking about is a whole different thing, but we should be so comfortable with that. It's a healthy and very health-promoting, health-benefiting, life-extending, youth-extending practice to have for women, the, the clitoral stimulation specifically. And again, you have 8,000 nerve endings there. I mean, I can go on and on. We could just do a whole two hours, just <laughs> me talking about this aspect of your health it's so important um but we'll maybe save some of that for another time um so cortisol flushing via orgasmic plateau self-stimulation without a vibrator really great um exercising 30 minutes or less is cortisol flushing anytime you exercise 30 minutes or more especially if you're under stress or dealing with hormonal imbalances or in the second half of your cycle you can actually then go into that adrenal overproduction and and boost your cortisol levels. And if you work out on an empty stomach, for example, that can happen Mm. too. So you really want to know what you're doing when you're using Mm -hmm. exercise. You can't go wrong with walking. So if you're in doubt, walk it out. Um, (laughs) And then uh, another great one is jumping on a trampoline, mini trampoline. Um, Massive amounts of cortisol flushing, very small periods of time are needed. Like you do it for three minutes and you've flushed a bunch of cortisol. Um, That rebounding was developed by NASA to help rehabilitate astronauts coming back from zero gravity environments. Interesting. Um, So because it's a combination of low impact, both bone and muscle um, stimulation that just really quickly does that, but also helps with uh, flushing cortisol. So it's really a cool, very useful thing to have in your home environment, you know. I'm going to get one. I've been thinking about getting one, but now you've just completely sold me on one. Yeah, you should definitely get one. I think it's, I think it's something that, you know, if you have like a little workout area and you have your yoga mat and you have some weights and you you should also have something that you can, they make ones that have like foldable legs that you can just like slide under a thing or fold up against the wall. Um, There's so many options. They're, they're just great to have. You don't have to get like some super duper one, you know, you can get a basic one and and just bounce on it, not for the purposes of doing rebounding exercise, but for the purposes of flushing cortisol as a stress relieving mental break during the day, especially if you're working from home, you could get up once an hour, Mm. get on the mini trampoline for three minutes, bounce it out. And you've just, you know, flushed your cortisol and you can start fresh every hour. Oh, I'm going to get one today. Yeah. Um, And then I also know about the rebounders. It also helps with, um, the word just went out of my, my head. Um, why we dry brush, why we gua sha. Lymphatics to me, lymphatic. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, because it's so low impact that, you know, anytime you press firmly on, let's say your muscles, right. You're now bypassing the lymphatic system and you're going, you know, through the fascia into the muscle, muscle tissue. 
But when you want to stimulate the lymphatic system, it's very gentle. If you've ever had lymphatic massage, it feels like somebody's just kind of like petting you. It's not, <laughs> it's not a massage um, in, this, in the muscular sense of the word. It, it is a lymphatic massage. You can't press too firmly. So this is definitely another way to flush toxins from the body as well, although dry brushing is excellent um, too. Okay. So let's go back to sex. <laughs> let's go back to sex. My favorite subject. <laughs> so... I think I want to know more about this plateau situation because I have no shame. I love sex. I love talking about it. Mom, here we go. Um, my, so, proud. Right, so my kind of nightly routine before I go to sleep in order to help me go to sleep is grab my vibrator and have an orgasm. But we well, have a, a climax have a climax. So it's a quick boom, boom. Let me go to sleep. That's great. Checked it off my list type of thing. Yeah. That's not getting me the benefits of the cortisol. I'm sad for you. When you say it like, (laughs) even, even let's let's just break down even that whole thing. (laughs) Like boom, boom, let's get it done. Yeah. Let me just, let me just try to reorient you to what mother nature has (laughs) given you. Okay. Uh, you have 8,000 nerve endings. Mm-hmm. in your clitoris that are exclusively there for one purpose, which is for you to experience the maximum possible pleasure mm. in your body, not just in your clitoris, but throughout your body. And, and to even just make it in case we got smart enough to figure out, well, gee, why would we have 8,000 or anything to just to confer how how um, by design this is Mm -hmm. for you to have this much pleasure. The more you stimulate these 8,000 nerve endings, the more healthy you get now and Mm. in the long term. Mm. Right. If I could just say it more simply, right. But the fact that we think it's something that we can just kind of like overlook or ignore, or we think it's all about the penetrative aspect of sex um, again, it's just a blind spot that we have, you know, and, you know, listen, I love men. I'm married to a man. It's all good. Uh, but, you know, when we look at the sort of comparative anatomy, you know, there is nothing comparable in the male genital structure. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. I sometimes joke, you know, I say this lovingly, but also jokingly <laughs> that sometimes, you know, I think of the penis as like a, one of those pens that has different colors that you can click. Uh-huh. Because sometimes it's peeing, sometimes it's ejaculating, you know, like it's, it, we do not have that same, you know, and there's no um, equivalent of that clitoral 8,000 nerve endings. In fact, the whole male um, shaft, the penis does not have as many nerve endings as the clitoris. Mm. It's just, so I just wanted to reorient you to the, the gift between your labia. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So when you know that it's a gift, you're not like, oh, let me check this off my list. You're like, yeah, yeah. when you get a gift, you're like, oh my God, let me open this gift. Let me enjoy it. Oh my goodness, a gift. You know, you're not like, okay, thank you. See you tomorrow. Like it's different, <laughs> you know? So I think just let's, can we please have a little internal mental shift yes, around the fact yes. that it's not something to like gloss over, you know? Um Okay, great. I just needed to get that out. All right. So now to the practical parts, what I would recommend for you is that you understand that your sexual desire and your sexual response 
changes across the infradian rhythm. Mm. So a lot of women, you know, as I mentioned earlier, 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied, right? When I dug into, well, how is that possible, right? And when I asked women anecdotally what their experience was, what I basically heard in summation is sometimes it's great and then other times it's flat, you know, and I don't know why. Yeah. Because we're essentially doing the same stuff. Right. So when I looked at that through the lens of the infrared rhythm, of course, that makes total sense because if you don't know that you have two wet phases and two dry phases, if you don't know that you have two phases in which testosterone is driving your desire and you have one phase where you need to actually loop in the brain to get yourself in the mood and you have another phase that's actually driven by the uterus and its pressure on your internal urogenital structure, you may, again, with that blind spot, be very disoriented and confused as to what you need when. And then, of course, you're, you remain at the mercy of the situation. You're not in the driver's seat. You're in the passenger seat on the ride of that experience with whoever you're with and right. hoping for the best. And that's just not good enough for me on your behalf. Yes. Right? I would like you to know with precision how to biohack optimal orgasmic experiences every time because that information is available to you and you should know about it. Just like men know how to biohack their optimal sexual performance, you know, again, they would always choose earlier in the day to have sex versus late at night if they had the choice. And they often do make that choice. Right. You right. know? Um, and, and I want you to be able to architect your pleasure precisely and like every time. Yeah. So that's, that's, I want to kind of talk about that because it's interesting in my case, we're going to talk about my, my orgasm for a minute here. Let's Um, let's talk about your orgasm. (laughs) So for me, it's like being a person that has never shied away from sex, like for as long as I can even remember, I've always been a really sexual person. And so I've known what exactly gets me what I like and but and that's so I guess that's where the kind of boom boom let's get it done type thing has come from it's like I know exactly where to go exactly how to do it in order to get there but what I do not do is take time I'm more I feel like I'm more in that masculine space of being like okay let's get it I just want to have this orgasm boom 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 I want to climax I want to climax rather than orgasm and experience this thing yeah. Listen, that again, we come by that via pornographic conditioning. Mm. Okay. If you were left to your own devices and not exposed to that culture, when I say you, I mean all of us, all of us yeah. men and women, yeah. we would not, I don't believe given how good it can feel to have, let's say, the soft part of your inner arm appropriately stroked, right? We call that erogenous mapping, for example. I I think if we came to it without any agenda Mm -hmm. based on this sort of conditioning from pornography, that we we would not be so singularly focused both sides to be ejaculating or having climax and being having it be done. We would instead want to extend and and expand our sense our sensorial experience right yeah so you know i think that uh, and for women it is you you are naturally more multiply orgasmic um 
whether that's climax or not. Um, you have a slightly shorter refractory period. Um, it, you know, there's there's so much good feelings for you to experience. Yeah. Why wouldn't you give that to yourself? And it confers so many health benefits. So, yes, knowing your perfect recipe to climax is an important. <laughs> piece of self-discovery and every woman should have mastery over that special combination yeah, yeah. that gets you to a 10 and you're, you're now circling back to your refractory period and you're going to start the whole process of sexual arousal and, and all the stages over again. But the other side of that coin, we don't want to leave money on the table, right? <laughs> the other side of that coin is that you want to know what is your experience of orgasmic plateau? Mm. What do you do? What's, what is that? Right. Yes. And what that is primarily is a lot of, um, instead of purposeful, specific, using the combination to unlock the climax, mm -hmm. you would maybe approach it definitely without a vibrator. Vibrators will hyperstimulate the 8,000 nerve endings and you will, you have to get to climax quickly. Otherwise you're going to, you know, overheat the nerve endings and it'll cause pain and friction. Anybody who's tried to squeeze out a third or a fourth climax with their vibrator, <laughs> you know, you know how that feels. It just starts to not feel good. Okay. Right. That's your nerve endings being short circuited, right? Mm -hmm. So in order for you to have orgasmic plateau, you have to, you know, use your own hands and you want to take sort of an inquisitive approach of like, well, how does it feel over here? How does it feel over here? And what if I go a little faster? What if I slow down? And then couple all of that inquisitive exploration of your clitoris and your inner labias primarily with breathing. Mm. A thing that you probably don't realize that you're doing when you are ha having any stimulation of your clitoris is something called freezing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you stop breathing you and that's then the climax happens and then, <laughs> right and that's funny because it's like part of the it's part of the math to get to the 10 right is to hold the breath whatever whatever as a yoga teacher I almost feel very ashamed of myself right now that's okay <laughs> okay I mean again where where are you getting this information have you ever had a conversation like this before probably not yeah you know? so when you want to explore the orgasmic plateau stage of your sexual response, it's one of the four stages and you're supposed to have this stage. It is, it is dependent on you breathing deeply mm. and you have to be stimulating yourself in such a way that you can continue to breathe. Mm. Get to the place where you start to feel like you can't breathe. You got to slow down because now you're probably crossing over from an eight to a nine. You got to slow down. Okay. And then that process is called edging, where you take yourself, maybe edge up to an eight, and then you know you need to slow down and breathe. Stay okay. at a six, go back down to a four. I need to breathe just talking about it. <laughs> breath, right? And then you can kind of continue. But okay. practice it. And, and it's also, I mean, this, we, I don't want to go so deep into this, but the, with, you know, I, I hope I'm getting the statistics right. I think I am one in four women being sexually traumatized, right? Mm -hmm. um, this breath work, whether that's happened to you or not, you know, Carl Jung believed in the collective unconscious mind, right? Where we, we have some sense that that takes place. A lot of us tend to feel a little shut down in this area. Yeah. And breathing can be 
uh, profoundly healing and also mm. a very uh, profound act of reclamation of your own body, your own pleasure um, at your own hands. I love that. You know, I think, I think there's so much to gain from ditching the vibrator and slowing down and breathing and maximizing your orgasm plateau on so many levels, health, you know, just having more pleasure because more, you know, in a lot of cases, less is more, but in the case of your clitoris, more is more. (laughs) Your your pleasure, more is more. More pleasure is good for you. Um, And then yes, also just as the, the, the psyche of you as a woman, I think it is so beneficial to, breathe and 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 come home to your body and that can happen through your orgasmic plateau practice but it definitely also will happen as a byproduct of you uh, aligning with your infradian rhythm and using the cycle syncing method i know that has been so true for me to feel at home in my own self i love that come home to your body i love that oh that's so good come home to yourself as a woman yeah. And woman specifically, again, keep, you know, putting into the context that we have been in a patriarchal culture for such a long time. Um, you know, often we don't even realize the extent to which um, we're not, at, we're not in our bodies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's so good. That's so, so good. So very excited to, you know, have a nice little orgasm. Tonight. Oh yeah. I want to hear how you do it. <laughs> Now let's wait. Let me help you though. Where are you in your cycle? I am on the first day of my period, actually. Okay, so you're in a dry phase, which means that you must not pass go. Okay. <laughs> Do not pass go without lube. Okay. Okay, because you would think to yourself, "Well, gee, well, there's blood, so it's going to be wet." No. So you know, if you ever get a cut, and what happens to the blood when it hits the air? Dries out. Dries out. Same thing with your menstrual blood. You're going to be, you know, m- manipulating it around your clitoris. It's going to dry out. Okay. It's going to create friction. Friction equals pain is the opposite of pleasure. So if you're in your menstrual phase, whether you are using a cup and there's no blood present, you still need to apply the lubricant before you start the party. You can warm it up in your hands. You can run <laughs> the tube under the warm water. You can make it nice. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Make that lube nice. Also, please do not use liquid plastic lube on your beautiful I was just anatomy. Ask you about that. Yeah, I like. Um, there's a bunch of great brands that I like. Actually, I'm so happy that I can give you a short list of my top three favorite <laughs> lubricants. Um, before I could only give you one. Now I can give you three. Ooh. So there's Coco New, Coco which is a wonderful female-owned brand. Actually, I think all of these are female-owned. Um, Coco New. Oh, does Honeypot have a lubricant? Oh, she might. I love I love, love B. She might have a, she may have a great lube that I just may not remember it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Check out Honeypot, Coconut, um, Aloe Cadabra, mm. and Sustain. Sustain makes a lubricant that is compatible for condoms if, you, if you're needing one that is also compatible. But for self-play, for solo play, any of those other ones that are coconut oil-based or oil-based are going to be fine. I was just going to ask about coconut oil because oftentimes that's what I will use. Yeah, coconut is a coconut oil-based cool. lubricant. And then, of course, there you can get real fancy. There's Foria that has like some, I think it's, I don't know if it's THC or just CBD, but there's some aspect of that in there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have not personally tried it, but you know, you, ne- you may want to try that too. That sounds like 
couldn't be bad. <laughs> have tried. I have tried the THC and it is a lovely, lovely lube. Lovely. Oh, cool. Lube. That's so yep. cool. I, yeah. I can't imagine what, how it would alter the clitoral nerve endings, but I, if anything, it must be somewhat vasodilating and, and expanding of the pleasure. So it certainly can't hurt. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think if you're afraid to try because you think you're going to get some sort of, you know, mental buzz from it. I don't think that you have to be worried about that. Your clitoris might get mentally buzzed. but Yes. Um, so in your follicular and in your bleeding week, you would want to use lubricant before you start the self-pleasuring journey. In the ovulatory phases and in the luteal phase, those are your wet phases that are also testosterone driven. Mm. So you're likely if you're thinking about self-pleasuring, the thought of self-pleasuring is likely going to get you starting on the self-lubrication process because that's just what your body is primed to do with the hormones of those phases. And so, you know, you don't necessarily need it. Can you use it if you want to? Always, yeah. you know, always. The more lubricant, the more less friction, the more pleasurable response and outcome. Cool. Great to know. This is great. Great, great, great. It's, you know, it's just like, we just need the information so that we can just do the things that are going to make the response, like the outcome, what we want. I mean, it's, this is not, I just, we should all have like the, the roadmap, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if you want to have an orgasm, here's, here's how that works. If you want to have a healthy metabolism, here's how that works. If you want to manage your time, here's how you do it. There's why there's a chart in every chapter. Yeah, because I just wanted to have this be yes, it's very academic, and I can talk to you about all the science. But I also am a very practical person, and I wanted you to have like, okay, when do I do what? And you have all those charts in the book and in the MyFlow app, because it should just be easy. Yeah, it just should be easy for you to to feel good and to take care of yourself. I mean, that's I want to sh- I want to show those that are watching on YouTube how many sticky oh, notes. <laughs> Because <laughs> <laughs> all those charts are so important. I've created a little note in my phone. So when I go grocery shopping, I have the chart of all the food. I have a note for like working out and where I need to be doing that. And what in the MyFlow my app, it tells you all of those yep. things so that, you know, and it helps you schedule it. And we're, we're getting ready to release a new version that will be even more cycle thinking oriented. Ooh, so I'm, I'm so uh, excited. working hard as fast as I can. <laughs> I'm so ready for it. Um, but as we start to wrap up here, I want to ask you about postmenopausal women. Sure. How should postmenopausal women be cycle thinking while well, without a cycle? So actually in the book, as you know, there's this whole biohacking section, number one, that asks all those questions and then answers them. Like, well, what if I'm on the pill? What if I'm postmenopausal? What if I'm perimenopausal? What if I'm breastfeeding? What if I'm postpartum? What if, what if? And what I'll say, I'll answer that question specifically, but if you have a question about, you know, how do I get started? What should I do? It's, it's all in the book. Um, so, so you please use that as a resource. Um, but for postmenopausal women, the infradian rhythm has, you know, it, it stops f- functioning in that same way of creating that cyclical pattern. Turned mm-hmm. the circadian lifestyle, and so that's why the research shows that, for example, for postmenopausal women, intermittent fasting is optimal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you wanna you want to just use what is biologically appropriate, 
Now you may have some emotional feelings about the end of your infradian life. In fact, I, I think I wrote about it in the book. If not, I've spoken about this before that um, a lot of women feel this big sense of loss mm. that they can't quite articulate around menopause. Mm. And I don't think actually that it's the sense of loss of being able to have babies or being seen in a certain sexual way because you as you evolve in age you love who you are in those ages and stages you just you know oprah is always talking about how she loved herself at 40 and then at 50 and she just keeps getting better with age and i believe her yeah know? and as, as i've been very lucky to be around women as they've been aging from 40 to 60 and all i hear from them is they feel better about themselves and more comfortable in their skin than they ever had mm. so i don't think I don't buy into this cultural narrative that says, oh, women feel the sense of loss at menopause because it's about their sexual stuff or their reproductive stuff. I actually think that without, again, you, you feel the fact that the infrading rhythm has stopped. You don't know that that's the case because up until this book, there wasn't a word for this rhythm. Right. And then you feel very different. You feel just circadian again. And I think that that loss that women ex feel like they can't articulate is that they now can articulate is just that they had an infradian rhythm. They didn't know about it. Now it has ended and they didn't, they didn't live according to it while they had it. Mm -hmm. That's what I think it, must be there if I had to really unpack that, you know, and we'd have to talk to more women as they go through this journey to, to see. But um, I know that women, and the reason why I am suspicious that that might be the case is because when I teach this information to women, the, and I wrote about this, as you know, in chapter 10, the, re, the emotional roller coaster that you go on very quickly being exposed to the truth of this infradian rhythm and its implications in absolutely every aspect of your life is a combination of like, grief over the opportunity cost that it has that has cost you um some frustration and anger about how that's kind of not great you know if you can feel that just in any moment of your life while you still have access to the infrading rhythm those feelings must be amplified when it then becomes no longer active if you have not been able to know about it and leverage it and take care of it and live in alignment with it now, because at least when you know about it and you've learned about it now in your reproductive years, what, whatever time you have left with your period, you can be all about this infradian rhythm and enjoy the gifts of it. But once you're postmenopausal, you can't get that time back. And as somebody who from 12 to 22 could not get the time back from my teenage, my entire teenage experience was hormonally imbalanced and very, you know, I don't even know what the right adjective is. It was not, it, I could have had a very different teenage experience, right? A different one relationship to myself, my body, my, my community. It could have been a very different experience. I can't get that time back. So I can appreciate that finding out about this postmenopausally can be, can bring up a lot of feelings and rightly so. And rightly so. It is not great that you didn't know about that before you ran out of the opportunity to leverage it. That being said, I want to make it very clear that 
what happens to a woman postmenopausally is extraordinary. Like nature mm. does not want you to feel like you decline with age as a woman. In fact, your sex drive is supposed to get amplified as you, you know, go through your postmenopausal experience. It is, it, it, if you feel like it's the opposite, it's because you have some things that you need to address. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your brain leadership communication style gets sharper. I mean, there's a lot of, um, I'm, I look forward to that time <laughs> of my life because I understand what will happen biochemically. Right. Um, and I think that we, again, with toxic mythology, dread every hormonal fluctuation. I mean, think, just, just do a quick inventory. You dreaded your first period because mm. you were told that it was going to be bad. Then you dreaded pregnancy because you're told you're going to get fat. Then you dreaded birth because you're told it was going to be painful. Then you dreaded postpartum because your body is not the same. Then you dreaded perimenopause because of the hot flashes. Then you dread pe- menopause because now you're whatever, right? What what <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that? If that's your if that's your internal conversation, what are you literally supposed to do with yourself? Right. It's all going to be bad. I mean, God. Yeah. That is no good. <laughs> you, know, you can't, you cannot, I don't know. I'm, I'm like speechless trying to even just process that. I don't think I've ever done that list. <laughs> but if that's going on in your head, um, you, your relationship to yourself is going to be so dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah. And it just shouldn't be, it just shouldn't mm-hmm. be. Doesn't yeah. need to be once you understand what's really going on, really going on. What's really going on is a truly epic, wonderful biological experience that you get to have in your female body. I mean, with crazy pants, good. Yeah. Oh. And and I'm and I'm saying that to you, even if right now you have endometriosis pain, even mm. if you have fibroids and you're clotting, and even if right now your period is so monthly disruptive to your life, um, what I know for sure is that that is not set in stone. Mm. That is something you can change by changing your nutritional inputs, your lifestyle. It can all be changed. And that's if you hear nothing else today, (laughs) but that piece that you can change your hormonal destiny, then, then then you we've spent our time wisely. Oh, so good. So good. Um, there are so many things I want to talk about, but everything is in the book. So everyone needs to run out, grab it. And I'm going to say every gender needs to run out and get it because men, you need to know, you just need to have this education, just the way that we've had education about your bodies. I agree. I agree. I agree. And in fact, what my experience is, by the way, just to, to because I, I, I am an optimist. <laughs> um, I, and I, and, and a po- I like to take the positive viewpoint most of the time. Um, in my experience of when I present to mixed gender, you know, audiences, it's the men who rush. I mean, everybody will come up and try to buy a book, but if I have limited amounts of books, I notice the men are like, get me that book. That's going to give me the, insider info so that I can be an ally in my relationship. If I'm in a female relationship, a male, female relationship, right. Um, they be and why, because they do this, they sync with their own hormonal cycle. So they know that this works. So they're like, yeah. Oh, finally, somebody has the formula. I would like to know what it is so that I can interact in a way that's going to be 
optimal, I mean, it's, it's so it's great. I, I think that men want to know this. In my experience, um, I get a lot of thank yous from men um, because they feel empowered too. And that's I think amazing. that's a, I think that's a beautiful thing because we should all be empowered with the right information about how our bodies work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before I ask my final question, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can get all your lovely literature. Um, <laughs> tell them all the things. So you can find me at, well, if you need support with your, your period of, you know, you have any sort of diagnosed menstrual condition, you can come and get some support at flowliving.com. That's what that platform is for. And it's, it's global. So wherever you are and you have an internet connection, we can help you. It's, it has been virtual since 2012 um, because I wanted to reach every woman everywhere. It did not make sense to force everybody to come to just one place. <laughs> um, <laughs> Then uh, if you need the app, you can get that at myflowtracker.com. And remember, it's the circle. It's the circle that's on the cover of the book, not the feather circle. Ah. Okay. And then um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's flow living, at flowliving and at alisa.vidi. And uh, let's see. Oh, the book. If you want yes. a whole bunch of fun free downloads to help you get kick-started into supporting your infradian rhythm, you can go to intheflowbook.com. And once you purchase the book, you get access to all these great downloads. There's even a biological rhythm quiz to see how, how to assess the degree of um, disruption you have got going on at the moment. So it's a great resource as well. Amazing. Amazing. So, oh, wait, one more thing. One more thing. If, if you, if I always forget, if you, uh, are ready to take the journey of diving in to support your infradian rhythm and, and to start using the cycle thinking method, then please join a global community of women in the Flow 28 cycle thinking membership. And you can join at cyclethinkingmembership.com. And that's really fun because you get chef created recipes, meal plans, grocery lists, workout videos, and me every month like rolling up our sleeves and, and really deep diving and troubleshooting. How do you live in, with, in an infradian way in a circadian world? How do you navigate that transition? So I love, love that. It's a, it's a joy to do that. Amazing. 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 So the last question I ask all my guests is what's lighting you up right now? I mean, it's always my daughter. <laughs> it's always my daughter. She's always like, it, it, as she grows and evolves, just bearing witness to that unfolding is um, awe-inspiring for me, you know, just to see her like the other day, she decided to build a window and, because we're in a place where there's windows with Venetian blinds that we hadn't had before. So she built one with straws and a piece of paper and folded the paper and made a, and then she made a bird out of paper, you know, and I'm just like, where do you come up with this stuff? You know? <laughs> or then she'll be singing songs and I'm like, you're five. Like, how are you singing on key? Like, I just, it's just fun. And it really always um, lights me up. I love it. Oh, it's so good. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It means Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our deep dive into things I don't normally get to talk enough about. Good, good, good.
So, wasn't that amazing? I mean, honestly, in my opinion, this is what health should have looked like. It's what sex ed should have looked like. This is the things we should have been learning about much earlier than today. <laughs> um, I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. It, I think, really holds so many gems. And I think it's really useful for every single gender. Everyone needs to be learning about this so that we can learn how to be in relationship with one another better, easier, in a more transformative way. So on next week's episode, we are talking to Daniel Vitalis, who is the self-proclaimed modern-day hunter-gatherer. He's incredible. He's also the host of the Wild Fed podcast and the host of the Wild Fed show, which is if you haven't watched it, you really, really should go look it up. And he is from, former host of Rewild Yourself, which was a smash hit podcast as well. We talk about foraging and hunting, why I'm getting into hunting, and racism in hunting. And it's funny because by the end of the episode, the tables kind of turn and Daniel is kind of interviewing me. It's a great, great episode. Um, really kind of cutting edge. So I hope you'll tune in for that. But as always, thank you so much for being here. Please continue to support. Please subscribe. Please review. Please share because that's how this thing is going to grow. I'm so forever grateful for you. Um, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.